Hello sailors and welcome to episode 16 of Offshore Sailing and Cruising with Paul Trammell. Well thanks for tuning in. Uh, I am continuing with my series of Golden Globe Race 2022 entrants. Uh, last time was Guy Debor, before that Gaurav Shinde, and this time Pat Lawless. You can find Pat at his website patlawlessggr.irish. That's P-A-T-L-A-W-L-E-S-S ggr.irish. And yes, Pat Lawless is an Irishman, and he'll be sailing a Saltram Saga 36, which he has yet to name. If you haven't already, be sure to check out my website, paultrammell.com. That's P-A-U-L-T-R-A-M-M-E-L-L.com, where you can find all of the podcast episodes, as well as show notes, also my books for sale, photos of my boat, Windflower, and my collection of underwater photos of the Bahamas. On that page, I've photographed lots of fish and coral and named them all, so you can, you can actually learn uh, fish identification and some coral identification on that page. So without further ado, here's my interview with Pat Lawless. Hello, Pat. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Excellent, Paul. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, great, great. Well, thanks for coming on to the podcast. So uh, let's start off. Why don't you tell us about uh, where you are? You, you live in Ireland, right? Yeah, I live in the very southwest of Ireland. It's the most westerly village in the whole of Europe, actually, except for the Azores. The Azores, but they're not really, uh, they're, off, they're not really on the continent of Europe, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm right on the edge. <clears throat> what's what's the weather like there? The weather today is nice, actually, but we get an awful lot of gales. Like we regularly get a hundred hundred miles an hour winds in the winter. One hundred so, miles. And fairly regular, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Last winter now was particularly windy, but we're we're geared for it. We're used to it. It's just what we get, you know. Yeah. We get the Atlantic coming straight in at us. Yeah. So what's it like sailing up there? Is it always rough conditions? No, I know you get fine weather. Often you get a big swell, but we get lovely fine weather as well. But we get, we get more wind, which is good for sailing. You know, it's, it's, it's perfect sailing conditions, actually, up around the West Coast. Really? Now, you'd want to be used to it maybe because like, it's, it's a rough coast, you know, because like, where I live, there's a valley, a small valley, and then there's four, the three sisters on Sibyl Hedge. There's four hills with cliffs on the other side. They'd be between 100 and 400 feet high. I, I have seen waves coming over them. Golly. Not every year now, but every now and again. So it is, yeah, it's something you'd want to get used to. Like, yeah. It's just a matter of staying offshore at certain times. But that's only in the winter now in bad weather. In the summer, we get gorgeous. You know, the sea would be lovely and fine. Yeah. And that. But I, I have fished several winters off the West Coast <clears throat> in that kind of weather, you now in much bigger and better boats than the sailing boats. So I, I would be used to that kind of weather, which will stand to me for the Golden Globe race, I think, anyway. Yeah, I imagine where you live is good training for the Golden Globe. Um, I, you know, yeah. I think that's going to be an obstacle for a lot of people uh, who've never experienced uh, cold and, and you know, rough, uh, high winds and big seas. But I imagine you get that all the time. So, yeah, the fact that this 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 next Golden Globe race is two months later, we probably won't get as severe conditions in the Southern Ocean that uh, the the 2018 race got. 
Yeah, I never know. It's just I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So let's talk about the Golden Globe race. Um, White, can you tell us what the race means to you? Oh, it's a hard one. Um, yeah. When I was young, I used to dream of doing the the All Star mostly and the, the around the world races and things like that. But Ireland was very poor when I was young, and now we never wanted for anything. But there was absolutely no money to buy a boat. I was thinking of building a plywood boat and entering races, but there was a pipe dream. Like there was no real money. But Ireland, lift, Ireland, Ireland was lifted by Europe a lot. And younger people wouldn't realise, you know, just how poor Ireland was growing up. Mm-hmm. Now, it was, it was a good, healthy poor, but it was poor. But the fact that I, I always wanted to do it, and then the dream disappeared. I got married, I had a great life, reared a family, and did, I just went sailing and that. Um, and then I went fishing, I moved down and I went fishing for a while, and now I'm back making furniture, but... So, yeah, I, the dream had left me about doing that kind of a thing. My father sailed around the world in the middle of it, and he kind of ticked the box. But then when the Golden Globe race started, it rewoke the dream. It took a while. My brother rang me to say this race was starting about two months before it started, and I started to follow it. And slowly it wound me in and wound me. I was looking for excuses not to enter in my mind. Uh-huh. I kept ruling out things, but it, it got into my mind and it took over. It's interesting. I have tried to figure out why I'm entering, and I really can't. I suppose the main reason, it's a race. I'm going to do my best to win. It doesn't mean I'm going to win now, but I'm going to do my best to win the race. Uh-huh. Like when I, came to, when I came to buying the boat, I looked at a boat that I thought, I looked for a boat that I thought would be the best boat to win. I didn't look for a boat to, to be the safest, do you know? No, I a part of you, it's about survival and arrival, so you have to, to finish to win. But like, it's it's really a case of break the boat or win in a way, do you know? It's it's not just I'd have no interest in sailing around the world if it wasn't a race. So, I suppose the race is the biggest. So, the Golden Globe to me, it's a race, it's not a, a cruise. If I wanted to go cruising, I could enter the Mediterranean or somewhere like that. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, but the Golden Globe, it is it's an iconic race. Like, I could never afford to do the Vendée Globe. And really, it's so technical now, it wouldn't interest me. Yeah, the Vendée Globe's really, uh, something else these days. Fun, fun to watch, but something that none of us will ever be able to do. Um, yeah, yeah. But even if I could, even if I won the Euro Millions and I had the money, I don't think it would interest me. It's... I know fair play to the people who do it and that, yeah. but it's just, it's, it's just not my thing, you know, but sailing by the sea to your pants, you know, in a basic boat and in a race where we're all equal and affordable, that really attracted me, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful. And I don't think, I don't think it would, would happen. Yeah, I don't think it would happen without Don. Don has gifted with the media and that you need someone, he's taught everything through, he made it affordable, he made it safe, you know, it is a good system. And everything is a system, whether you're making furniture or running the country or running the Golden Globe race. I think he has picked a really good system. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a it's a it's an incredible race, and uh, it's it's a it was such a great idea to make the race in such a way that that normal people uh, can do it, and um, on normal boats. So, so tell us a bit about your boat. How did you choose uh, your boat? What's the what's the name of your boat? I haven't a name yet. I'm waiting ah. for a sponsor to name it. <laughs> oh, I got you. Okay. Uh, 
it, it was Fulmer. Um, and it was another name. I forget the first name, but um, yep. yeah. But where I live, where I was born in Limerick, if you buy a boat and if you don't change the name of the boat, it's unlucky. A lot of places it's unlucky to change the name. So I will uh-huh. change the name. Yeah. I, I have sponsors in mind. They don't even know about yet that I'd like to call the boat after them. Uh-huh. But, um, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so how did you choose your boat? Pardon? How did you choose your boat? Oh, I looked at all different boats. I was interested in the Biscas and the Rustlers and a Lilo 34. I could have bought at a very good price. Uh-huh. Um, but I really picked a, I picked a Saga for cargo carrying capacity. To do the race, you're going to have, between the safety equipment and the weight of your food and the weight of your water and everything, you're going to have uh, an extra few tons in the boat compared to if you're just cruising around the coast. So a long, narrow boat, even though they look classic and nice, I don't think they're suitable for the Golden Globe race, like the Lilo 34, their South African design boat. And right. so oh, I went through them and went through them and tossed and turned. But when I saw this particular one, I really liked it. There was two sagas for sale, both over in Amsterdam, north of Amsterdam. And uh-huh. the other one, I, prefer, I preferred the rig of the other one. The other one had the bowsprit and the, the mast was two meters shorter. Oh. And I thought actually, when I bought this one, I thought I would change to the other rig. The, some of them had a bowsprit and, um, uh, and a shorter rig. Um, but because when I sailed it down from Amsterdam, down to Los Abel's de Land for the prize given for the 2018 race. I met Freshweather and she was so balanced and so so well designed, the sail rig and everything that I, I decided like if it isn't broken, don't fix it, you know. Huh? It, yeah, like I can sail that boat from a reach to close hold without self-steering for eight to ten hours. Even in four seven I sailed to the Azores last year and I had about eight hours of four seven against me. And she's so balanced, I could take off to self-steering and just, she would sail herself. Wow, well, that's amazing. And yeah. You just tie so off? Like, I, I said, wipe, just, wipe with a bowsprit on her. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. Do you just balance the sails and then tie off the tiller? Yeah, leave the tiller go. I just put a shock card on the tiller on the, the weather side just to stop it moving too much, really. Uh-huh. A very light shock card. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. That's a, that's a very well-balanced boat. So tell us about uh, what yeah. modifications you've made or improvements you've made to the boat. Um, my trade is a, a furniture maker. I'm a cabinet maker. So inside, I, I was able to do most of the work myself, even the fiberglass work. But start inside. If a boat gets a bad knockdown or if a, a big wave lands on top of it, between the deck and the coach roof, that's where they, they break. So I have supported in underneath. I have put hand grips in for holding onto the boat and I have put supports in, in there to strengthen that part of it. I put a partition between the galley and uh, the accommodation or whatever you call the, the front bit. Um, now there was a, a bit of a slight bit of a bulkhead there. There wasn't much, but I put a full, but I put perspex in the middle so I can see from the back to the front, it has a nice open field of boat. Uh-huh. So structurally, I've gone up the companionway. I'm just in the process of putting in another support and a hand grip 
an, an inside door and the companionway. Uh-huh. I found a bit of moisture coming down there. In I was out in 50 knots and in strong headwinds. Moisture comes in and you don't want, not a lot now, but you don't want your boat to be damp inside. So Yeah. In the outside, in the cockpits, in the lockers, the, two, the lockers under the cockpit seating are quite big. You could climb into them and you could sleep in there. Uh-huh. I have put a false floor in, in them, so any water comes in will drain into the cockpit. Like if yep. you get knocked down or worse again, a 360 roll and any of them open, it won't leak into the boat. Um, and I've done a good bit to the rig and I have more to do. Like the mast, the, my biggest fear in the race is losing your mast. Mm-hmm. So I will, whatever I can do, I will do. I won't spare on weight. If, if something has to go on the mast to make it stronger and if it's heavy, it will go on. You know, it's, you'll be trying to keep the weight off, but on the mast, like endless needles, like putting a good effort, as good effort as I can into, there'll be sleeve goes from the bottom cross trees to the deck uh-huh. uh, to strengthen it there. Cause that's where they always break is between the bottom cross trees and the deck if they're going to go as a rule. Uh-huh. And yeah, so that's basically it. The rest will be fitting safety equipment. Yep. Now you just mentioned you were sailing 50 knots. Um, that's something I've never experienced. Uh, what I'm curious, what sails do you have up when you're sailing in 50 knots of wind? I sailed down to the Azores last year. It was my 2000 qualifying and I had headwinds the whole way down, which was grand. I knew leaving there was going to be headwinds anyway. But when I turned to come back, I met a, a storm and I, I prepared as well as I could for it, but you'd be kind of anxious going into it. So yeah. I, I would use as much as possible, I would use jibs. I would keep the main down totally and use jibs in very heavy weather. And I'm not a fan of drogues. I wouldn't use them. I don't think I will use them or ropes after I keep the boat moving. So what I did was I had two furling, a, a Yankee jib and a stay sail on. And if I could put a little bit of each one out, or if it got very windy, I'd just have a small bit of the Yankee jib out. Okay. And it worked, it worked really well. Like before I went in, I was kind of anxious. And yeah, it really worked because when I came out, I wound up in the very center of the depression. And when I came out of it, I was on a reach. And even on a reach with the self-steering, she just went like an arrow. She kept her course like with a beam wind in 50 knots and she sailed really well, you know? And so, yeah, but it's all new to me. <laughs> I would normally wouldn't go out in that weather, but I had been out in the boat in, in Gales before that, but only in shorter areas where you can yeah. run into a shelter bay or that like, but yeah, I had about 24 hours of strong winds and it was absolutely, I was delighted when it was over. Oh, um, wonderful. It was very comfortable, very easy. And, I have an area self-steering, which I'm going to go with. And I think it's far superior to a, a self-steering system where it has a small rudder because it has so much more control. The, the, main, the boat was designed to be sailed by the main rudder. The last boat I had, a Sea Dog 30, which was my father's boat, it had a, a, a rudder with the self-steering, its own rudder, and it wasn't as, as good, I think. It's just a personal thing. Uh-huh. Now, there's downsides to the, the, the pendulum one is you have extra ropes to to change maybe every six, 7,000 miles. But other than that, uh-huh. I think it's more, if it's better, it's safer in very heavy weather. 
Okay. Um, so, so tell us about uh, the cold weather. I'm, I'm from Florida and I'm relatively unfamiliar with cold weather sailing. Uh, can you tell us how you deal with the cold? I know it's all probably very normal to you, but um, I'm curious about exactly like how you dress in the cold weather and how you stay warm and dry. And if you have any tips for people that are unfamiliar with cold weather sailing about how to stay warm and, and comfortable and dry. Well, I never had a boat for heating before, and you just dress for it. Actually, you can dress for the cold. The cold is no problem at all to me. I wouldn't find it. We just live with it, so we don't notice it. But it, We don't get freezing, freezing weather in Ireland. The Gulf Stream keeps us. It'll be about, at sea in the winter, it'll be about 6, 8, 10 degrees, which isn't, you know, you can dress for that. But when I got the boat, it had a, a heating system in it because of Amsterdam, they get more frost, I presume. But it, it had electronic things on it, so I had to take it out. So it was a hot air blown, so it's a really good one. And so that's, that's removed. And I put in a stove, uh, a wood-burning stove, and it really works so well. It's, oh, yeah. A, it's, a, it, yeah, it's a gift. Now, it's comfort heat. It will only heat the area just beside the stove. It's on a bulkhead down low, just up forward. And... Um, the chimney goes out through the roof, which like it's unbelievable. Myself, and my wife went for a swim lately, and when we came in, it was lighting, and it was so nice, you know. And um, it, but I never had heating on a boat before, and but you don't really need heating as such. Actually, the cold, the damp would be a bigger problem. Cold, you can dress for the cold, you know. And like I bought a boat in Iceland off oh, twenty five years ago, and sailing around Iceland. It's, it's colder and it's, it's lovely, it's crisp, it's fresh. I think the biggest problem will be the heat. Mm-hmm. You can dress for the cold, but you can't undress for the heat. There's uh-huh. only so much you can do. But to me, that's, that's my attitude anyway. I think cold isn't a problem. Like I'm, going up, I'm going up again to Iceland this year, hopefully, as part of my sail training. Uh-huh. And there's an island 400 miles north of it, Yen Mine. I hope to sail up to that. It's a volcanic, small volcanic island with a glacier on it. Uh-huh. And um, so, yeah, so that'll, that'll test the cold anyway. We'll see. It might change I my mind. So you've, have you, did you say you've sailed to Iceland before? Yeah, uh, about 25 years ago. And I spent three months up there while work has been done to it. And yeah, up in Akure is north of Iceland. Uh-huh. And tell me. And leave. I'm curious what uh, sailing and uh, bringing the boat home from Iceland. I went, I went around Cape Horn, which is the northwest corner. And as you go around that corner, you go through the Arctic Circle. Oh wow! So, yeah, and the northern lights. Just after we got around, it got slightly dark, and the northern lights were dancing in the sky. It was, you know, you get certain memories in your life you remember, going around that Cape Horn and the northern lights shining over us. And that, that's a night that I, I will always remember. You know, I'll bring it to the grave with me. It's just something nice. Yeah, I imagine which is so. Good. Um, yeah. What, I'm curious about what kind of wildlife you see that far north. Uh, whales or uh, other mammals in the water or, or birds. Any, any good wildlife uh, memories from up there? Or anywhere in the Yeah, water? Arctic terms. I remember a lot. I remember the Arctic terns were particularly nice. They, they have a lovely way of flapping their wings and they look as if they're dancing. There was a lot of them together. The Arctic terns and 
there are plenty of whales up there. Um, other than that, I don't remember seeing dolphins up there actually, but I presume, I don't know. Yeah, but I remember the Arctic turns out there was other birds. I, I, I wouldn't be great. I love gannets. I love watching gannets diving into the water. And you know, it's very sad. The gannets die of hunger. They die with their eyes open. They go blind. Yeah, oh. <laughs> creatures. Yeah, yeah. And um, but the Arctic turns. I remember particularly. Oh, there was a couple of hundred of them or more. And their wings. If it was the sunlight, their wings just flap very fast or something. They were just. Just caught my attention anyway. Gorgeous, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful story. Um, <clears throat> all right, so a couple of things I'm not familiar with. You you mentioned uh, two people uh, that I'm not familiar with on your website. Can you tell us about Edward Connor, Marshall O'Brien? Connor O'Brien, yeah, he was born to us. Was he was the first man to sail around the world via the the three capes. And 1923, so yeah, he was way before other people went. And he would have been on my radar. My father brought us to his grave and he spoke a lot about him. And that, yeah, he designed boats. He was an, uh, not a naval architect, he was an ordinary architect. And he designed boats, but he designed a few boats, but he, he was before his time. He, he left and he sailed around the world, he, he stopped about five or six places. I actually, I don't read that many books. I know I must get your book down when it comes out, but on my trip to the Azores last year, or this year, I brought three books and I read them, and one of them was his book. And it was interesting. I had it for about two months. I hadn't, I, I'm very time poor. I work for myself and between sailing and everything, I, I don't get time to do a lot of things. Uh -huh. But um, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to reading your book and a few other books that I have on my mind, you know, that kind of way. But, um, but Conor O'Brien, yeah, he, he, he was ahead of his time. And yeah. Ireland was just after getting this independence at the time and just had a, a new flag or tricolour. So he was the first man to fly the tricolour into a lot of ports around the world. You know, nice story. Uh-huh. And, and can you tell us a little, just a little bit about uh, St. Brendan the Navigator, another, another person you mentioned on your website? St. Brendan. St. Brendan the Navigator, yeah. The, there was monks living in the southwest of Ireland where I live and they had a great sense of adventure. They didn't go for pillage, rape and plunder. They just went to discover. They were kind of trying to, to find the promised land a bit as well. So they knew, they knew what was south of them and east of them. They used to trade a bit with um, France and that. And they kind of they had... Before Airbnb was popular, they had little beehive huts around where I live and people used to come and study with them. And they, they used to study a lot. And, but of course, as well as learning, they all brought knowledge. So they were, as well as the people that came to study and learn, we were known as the island of saints and scholars at that time. But they all brought knowledge as well. So they went off, they went on several trips that nobody came back. So they went off looking for the West looking for the promised land. So they, they went up and the person who did it, Bren, he's called Brendan the Navigator and he was called a saint, but I believe he was a Druid. It was pre-Christian. The Christians had just kind of maybe had come a bit like, but I believe he was a Druid. Bren, the journey of Bren is, is the same as Brendan the Navigator. And so they went, it took him seven years. He went up by Iceland, across the Greenland and down to America and back. Good grief. So 
perfect angle. Columbus went on his trip. He got all his logs and studied them, so he prepared properly. You know, so yeah, but I, it's it's a lovely adventure story. Yeah, you know, so long ago, and still they had the courage to build this. Yeah, a, a timber frame boat with animal skin over it and head off, like you know, a bit mental, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. All right, so back to the race. Uh, can you tell us uh, how you were preparing yourself for the race, uh, both mentally and physically? I work on my own a lot, so I spend a lot of time in my own. I like my own company for various different reasons. But um, So I, I don't think the time on my own, I sail on my own. My wife comes with me in that, but I sail. I like to go sailing on my own a good bit. So sail on my own. So mentally, I haven't gone to any shrinks or anything like that. But physically, I'm 64 now, and I, I think I'm fit for my age. Physically, I am... There's lovely mountains where I live and I do a bit of hiking. I have got more health conscious in my diet and that, and I'm making as good an effort as I can just to keep physically fit. But I, I, I believe I am quite fit. Um, I don't think physically, like, and the time I have spent at sea, I don't think it's a physical challenge. It is a mental challenge, I suppose, more so. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just keep myself physically and mentally as healthy as possible. Uh -huh. And actually, since I have entered, this race has given me a great sense of purpose. I find it has done, it has lifted me. Has, it's, I'm, I'm more time poor than I ever was, but it has lifted me mentally. You know, it's good, even with the pandemic now and things, you might get bothered at times, but it, this race is, just focuses me to get this done and that done. And yeah, so, yeah. So, and then sail training wise, like I believe whoever wins will have put a lot of time in the water. You see some of the people now, like um, Ayrton, he's an English entry. He has done the, the Azores race and back. And the people who have done the race before, like Tapio, I think if you're to have any hope, so as much as I can, I will sail. Like next year, going up to Iceland and Greenland, hopefully get over to Greenland as well and up to Jan Mine. I think unless you go and sail a lot before the race, like already on my, I have about 7,000 miles put up in the boat since I got it. And it's not really a lot, but I've learned a lot about the boat. Small little things subconsciously and consciously, you know. And I have changed little bits inside the boat to make it safer and more comfortable and things like that. And storage, you'll have to, I'll take out the, the table inside and put in a different table with storage in it. And, you know, but when you're sailing the boat, you figure these things out. So, yeah, so I'll just keep preparing as well as I can. Yes. Another thing, another thing I have done is the last two years, I have open CPN on the laptop. I don't know, do you know those charts? Uh -huh. And I would, start, I would start on the 4th of September as if the race was starting. And I would, every day I would update it. And I really look forward to it. I look at the weather and I study where I'd be. And that kind of focuses your mind on what sails would work in those conditions. And we're allowed to bring 10 sails. So I'm trying to figure out which would be the best 10 to bring in. But uh, you get up in the morning or before you go to bed at night and you check the weather for the, the day. And it's kind of like a little chapter of a book. You're, you're, you're looking forward to it. So yeah. when I got down near the island in the Southeast Trades, I actually put another boat five days back and about five days in front of my position. So I'm updating three boats. Uh-huh. 
And it's just something I look forward to. But I, I think it is an important part to preparing as well because you're studying all the weather patterns, you know, and it just keeps, it keeps the mind focused on what will work well for the race. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a, I, I, think, I think that's a great way to prepare, uh, looking, uh, sort of doing a virtual race and looking at the weather every day and uh, envisioning yourself there. Um, all right, another question about the race. Uh, are, are you, gonna, are you in, in the race to win it or did you just want to finish? Uh, how do you see yourself uh, competing? Oh, I'm in it to win. Like it doesn't mean I'm going to win now, but I, right. I, my total focus is winning. It's kind of, yeah, the, there is seven English entries. And interestingly, Irish get on better with the English, I'd say more so than any other country. We have a lot in common, a lot of them be Celtic DNA and that and we have our languages in common, but we really get on well with them. But in Ireland, they are the old enemy. Uh-huh. And we love to beat him in sport. So <laughs> the first thing, yeah, the first thing I have to beat uh, the seven English boats. So it's either break the boat or beat him, like you know. So and when I come in ahead of them, I should have a good chance of getting on the podium. Excellent. So when I entered it, just I entered it just to win, really, to try and win now, you know. But like, there's some seriously talented sailors in this. I'm a fisherman and not really a sailor. I did a good bit of sailing around. I spent a lot of time in the ocean, but they would have a lot more experience in racing. Uh-huh. I've only ever been into two yacht clubs. Uh-huh. I, I went up to collect a fishing boat in Hoth up in Dublin, and oh, that would be 30 years ago. And just for curiosity, the fellow who came with me, I said, we'll go into the yacht club for a drink. And we did, and we had two pints, and it was nice. And find yacht club local, I have been in there quite a few times, like, but most sailors would have been in yacht clubs a lot. So I would be, I used to be a fisherman who liked sailing and I kind of started to feel like a, a sailor who used to be a fisherman now, you know, it's, but yeah, I would be, I would be different. But in the West Coast of Ireland, when I was young, there was no such thing as marinas. There was none anywhere. And like, so when you sail down the river and went out to sea where I was born up, the River Shannon flows through when you go down. It's quite a big river. It's the biggest river in the British Isles. So when you go, but when, when you went out to sea, you're tied up beside fishing boats, uh-huh. which was fine. Yeah, and we get on well with them. Once you were up early in the morning, you weren't in their way when they were heading out. So then when I was fishing in Dingle, and if any boats come in, mostly French, you'd always give them fish and they'd be delighted. You know? uh-huh. Because but when you go up to the East Coast, the fishermen and the the sailors don't get on so well, like you know. Oh. So, and it, you know, there's just a different climate. And yeah. Like I, I fish with fishermen, and when I'd be telling them about going sailing, they'd just be laughing at me. One friend of mine, Dave Stokes, he's, he's gone now. Um, he used to say, if people who go to sea for pleasure will go to hell for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great it's just a different attitude. That's a good, that's a it's great It's just quote. a different attitude. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. He was a fantastic character. He always thought different, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so here's a, here's a tough question. Um, in both of the previous Golden Globe races, uh, many of the skippers quit before reaching the Cape of Good Hope. How are you confident that you will not be one of them? Well, I suppose you can never say never. I, I, I don't, I cannot see myself quitting. I just, it, it wouldn't enter into my psyche as such, but I know my father sailed to America first in a folk boat and then sailed home. And then he went to sail around the world 
uh, it took him three attempts. The first one, he was in the folk boat and down off Cape Town, the rudder broke and he had to give up. He was rescued. The first ship that came along about seven days later, um, the MV Lexa Dutch ship, and he got onto it and left the boat. So the second time he went, he left Ireland and he was six weeks stuck in the doldrums and the heat got to him and he did, he, he sailed into Brazil and came home and brought the boat home and that's like, and he left the third time then. He said he'd never go again. He left the third time, but he didn't think he'd turn back. But he, he just, he got disorientated and confused. The heat got to him and that. So yeah, I, I suppose you just never know, but I, I just wouldn't think, I wouldn't think it would be possible that I'd give up. But like, you never know, you know, you could get lonely or, you know, nine months on your own in a small boat is a test that, unless you go through it, you don't know how you're handling it. Um, tell us uh, what you love about the ocean. I love the solitude and the freedom and the scenery is nice, but it's not, it's not really about this. It's nice to see whales. It's nice. To see, I've never seen a, a turtle yet, but um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of the challenge. It's you against mother nature, not against, but yeah, it's, it's just a challenge of, and it's the free travel. It's, it's the wind, you know, and that, but yeah, I, I don't know. I never thought about it, but yeah, it's, it's just something I just love. It's you're safe out there. There's no Egypt's around you or anything like that. So yeah, it's just, it's a special place. I'd say it's just something you either like it or you don't like it. And I love it. Well, I agree. I love the ocean too. Um, yeah. And I, and I like being alone as well. We've, we've got that in common. Um, tell us, uh, is there anything that you fear about the race? Well, I think my biggest fear is losing the mast. Like if you lose the mast, you can lose your boat and lose more. You know, yeah, the biggest thing to me is get the mast as strong as possible and keep the speed of the boat. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that would be like that. I would have no fear of bad weather. I probably will fear, probably because of my father, I probably will fear the doldrums and the heat and that more, you know, the humidity and the heat. Yeah. So, yeah. Funny. That's funny because the heat means nothing to me, but the cold is something that I fear. <laughs> so we're kind of, opposite. Yeah. we're kind of opposite yeah. in that respect, but um, it just depends on where you grew up, I guess. Um, okay. So the Southern ocean, do you anticipate enjoying the Southern ocean? Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh -huh. I suppose you look forward to it. You'd be glad to get out of it. My, my aim is to get across as quick as possible to push a boat every extra day you're in it is the risk of an extra cyclone. So my aim is, is to push the boat as hard as possible across the Southern Ocean. Actually, one of, my, one of my downfalls is my father could sail the boat quite content with half the sail that you could fly. And some of my brothers are like that. I had three brothers with sailing boats. And like my brother John, I was talking to him yesterday, he's quite content to sail along with Reef Main. But I have to put up every bit of sail, which is good in one way, but... You can push the boat too hard. Mm -hmm. And that's something I have to watch. I love pushing boats. Like I enjoy one of the thrills of being out is see how fast you can get the boat going and continuously looking at the speed to see can I get it up. And yeah. then the features are I keep fidgeting at things. But the Southern Ocean, my aim is to get across as quick as possible. And sailing around Cape Horn, I hope it'll be as memorable as going around Cape Horn in the northwest of Iceland. But 
getting out of it would be as as good as a Southern Ocean, I think. But yeah. it's somewhere I have never been, so I, I, it's a it's a dream. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I didn't know there was another Cape Horn in in Iceland, but if if you sail around uh, Cape Horn in South America, you I wonder if you'll be the first person to have sailed around both Cape Horns. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, one one of the very few, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's wonderful. All right, so uh, you have a family. What does your family think about your participation in the race? Yeah, they're fierce supportive. I, I'm delighted. You know, they're, they're great. Yeah. Well, my wife would, and my older kids would be used to have, I have two older kids and two younger kids, same wife. People, yeah, some people used to think I had a partner or something. There's a big gap between them. But um, so, yeah, they're, they're happy out. And my, the, the, my wife and my two older kids would be used, like when I was fishing, you'd be away from home for months sometimes. You might be lying, if I was fishing in Rockall, I'd be landing into Killybegs, which is the north of the country. So they would be used. And if you were in, you're only in for a day and you're back out again. So, you know, you'd be gone for 10 days, so you're in and out. So they're kind of used to that and they have been at sea with me. So they they know that the sea is safe, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they're quite comfortable and supportive and all is good that way, yeah. Great. Well, that's good to hear. Um, can you tell us uh, what you hope to gain from the race? Or just to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I... I wouldn't have an interest in writing books. I'm not that, um, what's the word, um, academic. Uh-huh. So, like writing a book or making money is no interest. It's just to do it, to do as well as I can in it. An interest in the race. We're not really racing against the other competitors. Once we leave, it's a race against ourselves. Once we leave, leave La Salle de Land, we won't see each other again until after the race. Mm-hmm. chances are you know we'll separate and see and we won't meet each other again until after so it's not like a race where you can see your competition you're really racing against yourself so if you if i feel at the end of the race i have done my best and that i'd be content you know if i came second last or last and i feel that i couldn't have done any better i'd be content whereas if i came second and i felt that i could have done better and at first, I'd be disappointed. Uh-huh. You know, so it's the race is yourself. So the reason I'm doing it is there's no monetary gain in it, and or anything like that, or attention. I I don't I don't really want attention as such, but uh-huh. <laughs> that comes with it a bit, you know. But yeah, not major attention, no. But yeah, um, so yeah. But what what amazed me about once I entered straight away, people came to me and gave me donations, friends of mine, and oh, great. people I didn't know much. Yeah, so. I'm doing well with support. You know, I've got great support from people all over the place. You know, it has come. I'm the only Irish entry, I think, which makes it better. But the Irish are great people. They get hurt together. They help each other. We have an expression in Irish, the mehel, the mehel system, where neighbours come to help together and help each other, you know. But I have found it fantastic, the amount of support they have got. Mm-hmm. Great. I, I saw on your website you had a, there are a few pieces of equipment that you were uh, still hoping for uh, a radio direction finder, a bulkhead compass, uh, a log. I can't remember what else, but um, have you, have you already gotten all those things or are there still a few things on your way? I have got some. I must update that section. I have got some. Yeah, I have got, uh, I, I have one friend got onto me said he has a radio direction finder, but I haven't, I haven't seen it yet or anything. Uh-huh. I have the two stole logs. I have two stole logs, Scott. Um, 
And uh, yeah, a person came along last week. I needed two winches and he offered to pay for two winches. Irish Power, I forget his, his website now, but um, no, and he's just paying for the two self-tailed winches for me. And Great. yeah, and like, I, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what's, I know that section now, but I'm not sure exactly what's on it. I must update it. What, what and, other um, I have got some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you still need? Oh, <laughs> I need. Uh, well, before the start of the race, I have a lot done. In the next few weeks, um, I have I have ordered the two inches, and they're coming. And the deck, all the lines have to be laid aft. So I'm I'm just in the process of ordering all the the clutches and pulley blocks and that to lead aft. And I need the SSB radio and a ham radio receiver and other electronic stuff inside mm-hmm. but by the end of the winter i will have all those got and that done so that just leaves then at the in the next year then it leaves the safety equipment and the sales so i will go over yeah. the totally new the sales um for the race like the sales are your engine so the safety so financially when i when i entered the race i thought uh, the financial problem would be my biggest problem but actually it turned out not to be Oh, I have great. great support and tells yeah I I have my entry fee paid and the boat got and I have cashed in my old age or my pension that I had and all that kind of stuff and raised whatever money I could myself but I am where I am without any loans yet which to me is huge like you know and it's wonderful and I reckon I, I will get to the end I I heard I held a raffle lately which went instantly within a few days all the tickets sold I, I sold fifty tickets at fifty euros each. So I'm going to do another three or four of those before Christmas. Great. And I reckon I get to the end of this season, this winter, and have the boat ready up to a good stage still without being in debt, which is unbelievable to me. Like, you know, so that's, the Irish people are great. They're a great race, great nation for supporting each other. I imagine you've got a, a lot of people in Ireland who would like to see you win. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'd all like to win, but sure does there's thirty other competitors in the race and will want to win as well, like you know, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um okay, so on your website, uh you mentioned that you want to bring awareness to the amount of rubbish coming up from the bottom of the deep ocean. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, that's one thing that bothers me. You know, I I used to sail a lot on Loch Derg, it's a lake up on the River Shannon, and I remember, oh, must be 40 odd years ago, I was on a boat, Jubilee B, and the spinnaker sheet fell overboard, and I went up the next week and made a grappling and tried to get it, it was a shallow bay, Drummondier Bay, and all I was getting was tater bags and plastic, and that's a long time ago now, it's up, it's up the lake where the trade winds would blow the rubbish up, and that, but... It, I was disappointed, and but I didn't realize the problem with plastic so much. I was young at the time. But then when I went to trawling, like when you pull up a trawl, you're, you're trawling deep down as far as nearly 400 fathoms. But you bring up a lot of rubbish. Mm-hmm. No, you bring up, you don't know what's going to come up in the trawl. You get fish, but you get doors off airplanes and you don't know what's going But an awful lot of plastic. But at first... I noticed the plastic was very brittle and to break up just from the pressure. Every 33 feet you go down, the pressure doubles. So if you go down that far, like serious pressure. And, um, but it was very brittle. And if you just squeeze it, it would turn to dust. And I said, well, at least it's breaking up. But of course, it turns into microplastic. 
Yeah. So yeah, it's to get people's awareness not to dump plastic and not to dump anything into the ocean. And actually, our governments are nearly the worst. But so yeah, and it does disappoint me. The human race we're very short-sighted in our our ideas. But um, I'd like to educate people into knowing the damage they're doing when they do throw something. And if you throw it into a stream, it'll wind up in the sea. You know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it does just it depresses me sometimes. That kind of and it's like we were all guilty of it maybe back in the day that we threw stuff on the ground or whatever but it's just it's a matter of educating but I think the young people are fairly good but they still need to know more you know that, that the sea is, is is such an important part of the, the world's survival and it, it must be looked after it is without the ocean we're not going to survive and uh, yeah and I, I agree with you 100% that there's there's a lot of plastic in the ocean and uh, I, I sailed to the Bahamas uh, sometimes and the, the windward side of every island in the Bahamas is, is covered in, in plastic. There's, there's plastic rubbish all over the place. And, uh, you know, some of it makes sense to me to use uh, things that we need to last a long time. Plastic's probably a good material to make it out of, but things that we throw away after one use should never be made out of plastic, like plastic water bottles. I don't understand why anyone wants to, to buy a bottle of water in the first place when it's practically, it's usually the same water that comes out of your tap. Uh, but, but yeah, single use plastic doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it all ends up in no, the ocean anyway. Yeah. And the water that comes out of a tap is actually better than the water that comes out of the bottles with the plastics and the, the, that water is kind of contaminated with it's a PCBs or whatever they call it. Exactly. Yeah. You put it in a plastic bottle and, it, you know, somehow people think that's better water than tap water, but it's actually water that's been sitting in a plastic bottle for a long time. Yeah. Taking off. Yeah. 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 So I agree. And it's really 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 trying to educate people into it. Like, you know, another thing I hope to do, which is kind of green, a lot of, this is me being negative now, a lot of charities, a lot of the money might get to the charities. So, if I have surplus money, I'm going to try and plant trees around Ireland. You know, oh, because I make furniture, I, I, I like trees. Yeah, but I, I, I get native trees and I, I plant a lot of sycamore just because I, I, I can get seeds here. I have a sycamore beside me and when the helicopter little things fall down, I, I germinate them and I planted a world sycamore around. And it's, an, it's a mother tree for this area. So when you plant it locally, they, they grow well. Yeah, but if I can in other areas, I if I could get onto Quilter or someone an Irish body, I hope to plant a good few trees are given to people to plant, and that's just a different green side. But they're good because they they're good for the whole system of the the planet. You know, I agree. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. Great. Well, um, is there anything that I have not asked you that you would like to talk about? No, I don't think so. What I'd just like to do, actually, I'd like to thank all the people around to support and help me, you know, from businesses to private people, like there's a potter back to Road Louis Mulcahy Pottery. They've given me spot prizes for my raffle just without asking and the local hotel, the Dingle Skellig Hotel, and maybe I shouldn't name people now because I leave a lot of people out, but, you know, the local hotel over the road, they have given me a prize and the County Bale Hotel. I just like to thank you. and all friends of mine that just turned up and gave me money. You know, it might be huge money, but to them it's a lot. They had to work hard to get it, you know. And some would be quite good and some would be small. But I just like to thank everyone for all their support. That's that's the main thing really. 
Wonderful. Well, um, it sure has been fun talking with you. Um, you and I have a lot in common. I'm, I'm actually a carpenter as well. Uh, I've been a, a finished carpenter most of my life and also I build furniture. So I think it, uh, it helps. I think it helps being a, a carpenter to be a boat owner because uh, a lot of the skills cross over. Well, they do, yeah. Maintenance and things, yeah. They, they do, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's been great talking to you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Well, Pat, uh, I wish you the best of luck in the race. And uh, I tell you what, let's let's do this again in about six months or so and uh, just to see where you are and talk about uh, progress towards the race. Excellent, Paul. Thanks. Hopefully this pandemic will have lifted a bit. The vaccines yeah. will work something, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and I hope to see you out on the ocean someday too. Excellent. Yeah, I'd love to sail beside you. All right. Good talking. All right, Pat. Take, take care. care. Bye. 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 Uh, well, that certainly was a fun conversation. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. That was my interview with Pat Lawless. Make sure to check out his website at patlawlessggr.irish. Um, also, check out my website, paultrammell.com, and keep an eye out for my latest book, Chasing the Nomadic Dream. That will be available at amazon.com, and you can find that in all my books at paultrammell.com. Uh, my next uh, episode is going to be yet another Golden Globe entrant. You might remember Elliot Smith from episode 7. Um, Elliot, Elliot has joined the race, and I'm going to be interviewing him next time. So, uh, yeah, stick around for that one. Keep an eye out for it. And uh, until next time, everybody, happy sailing and peace out.